0: I will show you the most excellent way. 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, do not have, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, and it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they're going to stop, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, or reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1, context. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You got the recording going there, Stephen? You're awesome, buddy. I always forget things. Stephen's a great servant today, helping us out. Uh, if you sure <clears throat> uh, so chapter twelve uh, we 're dealing with the gifts of the spirit, the context of the gift of, of the gifts of the spirit, and what we 've talked about before is that each one of you who have been said, "Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins." You've been baptized. The Lord has baptized you with this Holy Spirit. He now comes into you, and now the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and He has given you a gift—if not more than one gift—of the Holy Spirit. These are not natural giftings; these are supernatural giftings, and they are displayed in the way that you have now have an ability and a desire to build people up in their faith. And it's God's grace given to you; it's a gift. You did not earn it. You receive it in the same way you receive it. You give it away. Hot potato right? As the Lord has blessed you with these spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and he gives you opportunity, you give it away. And what Paul is saying to this church as as we're looking at this church is they are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. They have tongues going on. They have prophecy going on. They've got all this wonderful stuff going on. The gifts of the Spirit are evident. However, their motive for using those things is not love, And that's what Paul is getting at. That's why in chapter, what what chapter is it? Chapter twelve, gifts of the spirit. Chapter fourteen, gifts of the spirit. Sandwiched between the gifts of the spirit, love. And what he's saying is, love is what really matters. That is, that is the. You can have all the gasoline in in the in the world, you can have a car, but if you don't have gasoline, it's not going anywhere. It's not fulfilling its purpose love is what the motive is what the power is what the uh what the lord would have us be behind everything we do so when i preach to you it's not just preaching at you it's because i love you because the lord uh has something he wants to say to you, something he wants to do in your life. And that motive isn't to uh, manipulate you. It is to encourage you, to build you up, to put your eyes upon Jesus. And so hopefully that's the motive in how, why we serve, why we will go help uh, Marilyn, men woo, this week, right, uh, with, with the boxes, and why we serve in the nursery, and why we go ahead and help someone fix their car, why we do these things. It's a supernatural love that God puts in our hearts that, is expressed in many different gifts. And so we must have love as the foundation of what we do. Otherwise, at the end of our lives, what happens is all these great things we've done for God and in his name and all that stuff become wood, hay, and stubble, and they're burned away. And that's what I want to avoid. That You can spend a whole entire life serving God with the wrong motive in your heart, and it means in God's economy, it is Nothing. But in the world's economy, it's not about love. It's about being seen, being heard, being liked, having influence, having power. Am I, am I missing something? A lot of things, right? So the church in Corinth, it was the best thing in the world to be an orator, to stand up in front of people and talk. And they had tremendous attention spans because that's what their culture valued. So they would debate all day. They'd talk about things. And to have the best eloquence, to have the the most best words, and to be able to do all that great stuff, I wouldn't, yeah, I'm done. (laughs) What I'm saying is that that was highly valued within their culture. Highly valued. And the gifts that tended to gravitate towards those cultural things Prophecy, oh, look at how he tells us what God is saying. Look at the mystery behind that. Look how awesome he says all the words or she says all the words, right? Tongues, oh, they're speaking in a foreign language they don't know, and oh, man, look how awesome that is. And and yet, the intention was put on the gift person, and it was not put on, the purpose of the gifts was why am I speaking what compels me to speak? What is the purpose of tongues? All these things that we're going to get into. So they, were, they had all the gifts going. They had things hopping. I mean, there was a coffee cart in the middle of the sanctuary, and people were talking, and there was things going on. I mean, it was the best, right? But they lacked something. They lacked the major thing that Paul's talking about. He says, you guys, are, you guys are treating each other awful, People are coming up for communion and the rich are going before the poor. People are going hungry. People are getting drunk at communion. You got people sleeping with their mother-in-laws. And he's addressing this in the context of gifts and what's going on in the church. And so while we read through that, you've got to not just take it and put it to where we are right now. Yes, but what was happening back then and then extrapolate from that how that works with us. And so verse 27 we're going to finish up on on the gifts of chapter 12. It says, "Now, don't worry about it. If you have a Bible, there if you don't have a Bible, there's a seat back in front of you. you. Raise your hand if you need one, someone will pass one to you." Now, you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Paul just got done saying that you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ, Carol, they over there. You are part of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, Tim. Don't want to leave you out. You're a part of the body of Christ. I'm looking around. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the... If you've received Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. Can you say, I am part of the body of Christ? Of body. Now, let me ask you a deeper question. What part of the body of Christ are you? <coughs> Big, toe. <laughs> Big toe. And that's what Paul's getting at. Eagerly desire. Find this out. Why? Why? Because you have a part in the health and the growth of your brothers and sisters next to you, and without you, it does not function, it does not work, and there is a lack of health in the body, and there's a lack of growth, and there's a lack of what we should be doing. There's a lack of light in the world. And so the enemy comes in and pulls us away and does different tactics in our lives, and he's good at it and we're good at following him, amen? But that's not what the Lord wants. He wants to prioritize around the head of Jesus. What is Jesus telling us? And he says right there in chapter 12, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, and he starts talking about the parts. Now these are ministries, uh, which are also giftings, and we'll talk about that when we get into Ephesians, but First of all, apostles, there's prophets, there are teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, of help, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, Ephesians chapter 4 says, we'll read a little bit of it. This is giving a little bit of context, because he's talking about these things. What are apostles? What are teachers? What are prophets? What are these things? They're parts in the body. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 4, gives us a little bit more. It says that this is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we're united, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and on all, but to each one of us, each one, who is each one? Body parts. Each one of us, grace has been given. As Christ appoint, uh, appointed it, apportioned it, and this is why it says, "When He ascended on high, when He rose again, He took many captives and gave gifts to His people." And I'm skipping to verse eleven, because just for clarity, so Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. This list is similar to the one we're reading in 1 Corinthians chapter twelve, twenty-eight. These are ministries within the body, ministries within the body. So they're parts of the body. We will uh, be going through that in Ephesians, but I want to point out to you in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, which explains why Christ gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. Why did he give those parts of the body? Verse 12 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. God has placed giftings within the body, specific giftings, so that you would be built up. And he explains a little bit more about what that is in verse 13 of Ephesians 4, which we'll get into later. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, maturity in him, so God has placed these ministries within the body to build up the body for the, work of, uh, for the works of service. And so that is why I am not the tip of the spear. You are the tip of the spear in the world. My function is not to go do what God has called each of you to do. My job here on a Sunday morning, and I think that it also could be much more broadly, it's not necessarily evangelistic in nature, and we've talked about this a little bit with the elders this week, but I believe my, one of my main roles as pastor slash teacher is to equip you to go out and go slay dragons. To go into your workplace, into your families, in your homes, and to have the word of God in your heart, the fullness of the spirit be praying for you and asking what can I do to help you to do that. And I can do a whole lot better job with that and figuring out ways to do that. Because you are the ones who are called to the mission field. Did you know that? You have incredible influence where God has placed you, whether you're in retirement or whether you're still working or you're a mom in the home, wherever you are. God has placed you as, a, as witness. And God has placed certain people around you to equip you. So one of the roles of, like of a pastor teacher is to equip you to go do that. So... Um, there are gifts and there are ministries within the church. And so spiritual giftings, which Paul was talking about all there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, can often match up with ministries. They often overlap. They're kind of one, I don't think the scripture necessarily separates them a whole bunch. So for example, uh, uh, well, for example, being a a pastor. Pastor kind of means Shepherd. And often with shepherding, there's a gift of mercy, and and quite often you throw a title on, you're the pastor. Well, yes, but sometimes that might not be my main gifting. My main gifting seems to move more towards teaching, exhortation, and all that type of stuff. Whereas I like look at someone like Gary and Marcus, and I see that shepherd's heart to where they have a gift of mercy, they have a gift of compassion, and all these types of things, so I'm Matt the merciless. Just playing with you, (laughs) but they work together. But so there are spiritual giftings within the church, but there are also spiritual ministries, and they're hard to separate because they work together. The ministry of teaching is using the spiritual gift of teaching, is it not? Should be, and also maybe word of knowledge or prophecy, whatever else the Lord throws in there. It, It we're not thinking about it, it just flows. The ministry of evangelism. The the person, if he has a ministry of evangelism, he's going to have the gift of evangelism, but guess what? There's going to be some other things operating there. So there's different ministries within the church, apostle, evangelist, prophet, miracle worker, whatever it might be that he's talking about here, and there's giftings that complement that and are um, really brought out. In each of those people. So don't feel that you have to be a pastor or a teacher or an apostle or an evangelist. Lean into Jesus. Ask him what he's gifted you to do and just go do it. But that's what he's explaining here, the different parts of the body. So Paul is saying that within the body there are these gifts. We all have one, but there are also specific ministries within the church that are given so that body is built up into the completeness So that's why he's placed those there. Verse 29, and he says, hey, are you an apostle? Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Real quickly, I want to have a hand. Does everybody do everything? (laughs) Yeah, Stephen, all right. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. We're not all eyeballs. We're not all, uh, you know, we're not all pastors. We're not all, you know, greeters at the door. We're not all mercy-driven. We're not all visiting uh, the sick. Now, are we all called to certain things? Yeah, we're all called to love. We're all called to show mercy. So that doesn't, because it's not our calling, our gifting, so to speak, within the body, does not mean we're not to show that level of it. We're all to have faith, amen? So I want to move into chapter four, so I'm trying to speed through that. I explained that more last week. But at the end of this, so Paul says, yes, now eagerly de- desire the greater gifts we are not all that but i do want you to z- desire the greater gifts and this greek term means desire this greek term for desire means to be zealous i want you to be zealous for the the spiritual gifts and i want you to be zealous for the greater gifts and now he's going to tell you why you need to be zealous because the greater gifts are not necessarily the greater gifts according to us but they're the ones to where the most edify the body and that is what love does So eagerly desire the ones that would really build up your brothers and sisters. Be zealous for them. Pray about them. Pursue them. Now, he says, and yet, I will show you the most excellent way. So yes, desire that, but there's something even greater than the gifts. There's something even greater than the spiritual gifts because the gifts are going to pass away. Really quick, church, the church does not function without the gifts of the Spirit. Paul is telling us that. Amen? He doesn't, it does not function. It does not work. It does not grow. It doesn't, there's not health. Things are not going without that. And we're to eagerly desire it. And yet, he says, I'm going to show you a most excellent way. Now he's going to speak about having gifting without love as the motive. Because love is the motive for seeking and using spiritual gifts. Chapter 4, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. Paul is using hyperbole here. He's exaggerating. He's taking the gifts to their extreme. Tongues is not speaking in in the language of angels. It's speaking in unknown tongues of men. That's as far as I can see in Scripture. And even if I could use this gift to speak in the greatest degree that there could possibly be and lack love, I've missed it, Paul is saying. So the Corinthians spoke in tongues, but the way they did it was not with love in mind, as we're going to see in chapter 14, because it was not considering others when they started speaking in a foreign language and no one understood. Where, did the, where was the attention put on? The person but when interpretation came that was love and people were to be able to be edified so he kind of lays that down paul's saying if i speak in tongues of men if i just speak in tongues or of angels that exaggeration if i could do that if i can speak in that language yet i have not love then actually i'm like a gong or a clanging cymbal gongs and clanging cymbals are unintelligible correct and they're kind of annoying, if not put in concert with something else. So there's no edification to others. There's no comprehension. So I know we don't have a problem with speaking in tongues in this church. If anything, we have a problem with not speaking in tongues. Can I just, like, throw that out there and hide behind the pulpit? I wanna, as we're reading through Acts, how many times when people are converted, did they speak in tongues? Four out of five times. Right? And we just read, not all speak in tongues, but we love to take that verse, I love to take that verse and say, I'm not all. Right? And so I'm saying that we see an example in the New Testament of a church that spoke in tongues. How many of you are comfortable with asking God for the gift of speaking in tongues? How many of you have asked? And you don't need to raise your hand. Yeah. I would encourage you to ask for that. It's yours. If the Lord desires, if the Spirit says it's yours, it's yours. And if it gets weird, don't worry, you've got an eldership around you to tell you, hey, lighten up. Or this is the way it's to go. That's what Paul's doing, right? He didn't excommunicate everybody so tongues without love uh, without the desire for others to be edified is to be kept to yourself is to be kept to yourself and I think many of us would obey that and we'll read that in 1 Corinthians 14 so verse 2 he's going to go on another gift that is being used in Corinth tongues what, which, which ones would we put in there they're putting tongues prophecy something else which ones would we put probably teaching big mouth come on you know what I'm saying So we've got to think about this in our own context. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and here's a little bit about prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. So prophecy has to do with fathoming fathoming mysteries, to know mysteries. Things are not revealed that are hidden. And the second part, uh, in knowledge, it's about having knowledge of something you did not know or could not have known unless the Lord gave it to you. So kind of prophecy has that too. But he's saying, all mysteries All knowledge. If I had that gift, if I just walked around and there was no situation I did not know the will of God in, there was no situation I just did not know the future or know everything about, if I really know it all, right? If I could do that, and if I could have faith that can move mountains, say that mountain be gone and it's gone. I mean, literally. But do not have love, I am what? I'm nothing. So another gift in high demand in Corinth was prophecy, and Paul defines it, and he exaggerates it. If I could operate in that gift, if I could do all that stuff, now I have all that knowledge and have faith, that giant faith that, how many of you wish you had more faith? I mean, it's hard enough to, like, share with someone down on Main Street, is it not? Or share with your neighbor but to have faith to move a mountain. I mean, just like walk through the city and you have no problem. Just not, you just trust the Lord for everything. Wow, if I had that kind of faith, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Paul's saying, if I don't have that, I'm nothing. No matter how gifted you are and how powerful you operate, without love, you're nothing. God's kingdom is not man's way of doing things. Verse 3, the gift of giving now is pushed to the extreme. I know many of you are, are awesome givers. You give so much of your time and your energy and your resources. You really love each other. I see this gift happening a lot in this body. A lot. He says a person who has the gift of, of giving here. What, what, what about that? If I give all possessions to the poor. Now, someone with the gift of giving is going to give their possessions to people who don't have things. They're going to do, that's going to be it, right? But he's saying all possessions. And if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, some of your translations say to even be burned, right? The idea is the ultimate sacrifice. If I gave that much, I gave all my stuff away, all my money, and I even gave my own body to be burned, what would happen? If I do not have love. I gain Nothing that's huge in God's economy that's scary a person who has the gift of giving can give ultimately give all possessions and even their body to be burned but without love I gain nothing this world has many people who are uh, you know who give great amounts to have charitable tax write-offs right? I mean how many of you enjoy that perk? I mean come on Uh, that's okay to have that, by the way. But if that's the motive, you've gained nothing in God's economy. You've gained nothing. That's hard. There are people who are willing to give their lives for something and have not love. Strap a bomb onto themselves, walk into a place and blow their, themselves up and others in the name of God, but have not love. They've gained nothing you do not get that afterlife promise. You have nothing. Yet we see in, in God's eyes, without love, gain nothing. And so, as gifted uh, people by God, each of us, uh, it is possible that we can operate in spiritual giftings, yet be out of sync with the way God intended us to operate. We must have love as our motive. Ananias and Sapphira and Sapphira they gave largely and gave their land and all that stuff, but the motive behind it was not love, as compared with Barnabas before him. We must have love as our motive. And so the logical question is Paul's laid that out in the first part, the importance of love, the first three verses, you gotta have love. Well, what is love? You know, what is love? Paul takes the next few verses to define what love is. Now, as we re- read in English, you've got to get this. As we read in English, we see Paul emphasizing love, but what we do not see in English is what kind of love he's talking about. You can see clearly, more clearly that in Greek, and so there are several words for love, right, in Greek. And, and, you know, and, and so there's a word, eros is one of them. I'll briefly go this because you know this. This is the one used for on uh, a physical carnal nature and that's where we get our word erotic but it also can be like I love chocolate peanut butter ice cream from clickers I mean that's that eros that carnal love right So that is not the same love I have for my friends which is a brotherly love and that's where you get the word phileo, right Philadelphia the city of once that once was brotherly love right <laughs> just kidding uh, but, so there's that flail, there's that brotherly love. We just have one word for the whole thing, but then Paul is searching for a word that describes God's love, which is the word agape. It's a weird word, it's like agape fish, but it's agape. And what it means is it's not dependent upon the receiver, it's a decision based upon the giver. I choose to love you not based upon what you have done or what you deserve, but because I choose to do it. And it's always associated with giving, and that's why in the King James Version, you'll see the word charity in there. Charity. But that's lost its meaning in our language, and so love is kind of what they put back in there to try to best describe this love that is not based upon what you do, but a decision I've made in my heart to love you regardless of what you do. For powerful love, how many of you like that love? How many of you need that love? How many of you know it's available for you? And do you know that when God talks about love all the time, he it's always associated with giving. It's always associated with an action, not just a word. It's an action. It's a deliberate choice on the one who loves rather than the worthiness of the one who is loved. It's always shown through an act. If you love me, do what? Obey my commands. If you love me, you're going to obey me. And this is my command, that you love one another. (laughs) Pretty awesome. If you love me, feed my sheep, Peter. If you agape me, feed my sheep. And Peter replies, you know I love you like a brother. We know that whole exchange, right? You know I don't love you on that level. I love you like a brother, and that's why Peter weeps down and cries because he doesn't have that love in him. But he will when the Holy Spirit falls upon him and he's filled. In front of those same people, he gets up and preaches a sermon. 10,000 people get saved in one day because the love of Christ was more important than what he felt about him, his own self and his own fears and all those things. His love for Jesus overruled If you love me, feed my sheep. For God so what? He agape the world. He unconditionally loved. He had a one sided decision. I love them, and I will give my only son, that whoever believes him would not perish, but have everlasting life. No man has any greater agape than this, than to lay down his life. Right? Husbands, agape your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Ultimately, he died. Well, these are agape. This is how the gifts uh, are to be understood. They are given to us to give away in love. The Lord wants us to know what love looks like, and so Paul's now going to define it for us. This is so needed in the context of our world and the world around us today because it defines what love is according to God, and we often use the word love to to be used in the context to where it just is a use to justify anything and everything we want to do. Well, they love each other. So, well, <laughs> can't fight with that. It's not loving to step in the middle of something that's evil, it's not loving, you know, hey, you just got to accept me however I am, you know. That's not God's love. God loved you so much that He stepped in the middle of our sinful world, and sent His Son and His Holy Spirit, and got in the middle of our lives every day and said, "You need serious. You need resurrection. You need power. And I'm the answer. But here's the condition, and this is the choice where love comes in. You gotta surrender everything and give it to Me. I want unconditional surrender. Step up on the carrier. Sign the document. And do what I say for the rest of your life. And you find out, wow. Why did he do that? Just to make us his subjects? And then you find out when we surrender, he didn't make us subjects, he made us sons and daughters. We just were brought into the family. And he goes, now that you've surrendered and I've forgiven you of all your sins and debts against me and my kingdom, all this is yours. Come on in. I have eternity waiting for you, and I have a plan for you here on earth. Yes, it's going to be hard and difficult. I've got a spirit that will fill you and empower you. I've got gifts. I've got people that you'd meet, places to go, things that are going to do. I'm going to blow your mind. Come on, let me find out who I. Let's find out who I made you to be. That's amazing. That's love. So he gives this definition: love is patient, love is kind. Patient is to be long-suffering, of a long spirit, to endure, to persevere, to not lose heart. Love is kind, to have the other person's best interest at heart. Match this up with your own world thinking of, of what love is, what has been modeled for you, or what you're currently operating in, or what the world is telling you, or what you're struggling with. Just match it up. And, and, let the, and let yourself be conformed to what this is saying and ask God to do this work in your life, in my life. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud. Envy, jealousy in the Greek is the word. To boil over with anger, to stew over someone who has something or is something you don't like. It's not jealous. Boastful does not focus on my accomplishments or trying to make others see how great I am. It doesn't boast in how great and wonderful. That's not love. Love is actually humble, right? It's not proud. It's not arrogant. Having an inflated picture of yourself, you know? Verse 5, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Four more. It does not dishonor others. It doesn't act in a way that brings shame to others. Love's not rude. It's not rude. That's not love. Uh, any of you have boys or have had boys at the dinner table? Oh, my gosh. Why does it always, like, go to <laughs> Rude. like, oh my gosh, love is not rude. That's something that has to be grown in a guy, right? (laughs) Love is not rude. We live in a very uh, rude society. Having come from the the freeways of California, you're very nice up here. (laughs) I was in Seattle like for the first year and someone cut me off. I'm like, that's not how you cut people off. I'm like, rookie? You're like, oh, shit. You got to make them fear for their lives, you know? It's like, (laughs) you got to make them think. Am I going to pull the gun out? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Stop. Yeah, that was probably rude. Sorry. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's seeking the best for someone else. You know, their pursuits are not self-focused. They're others-focused. Uh, not easily angered. Boy, I don't know about you, but I think it, we live in a highly, it's really easy to get angry. It's a high, there's a lot of things that just go crazy in this world, huh? Things that agitate us. Anyone? Just me. Love is not having a short fuse. It's being long-suffering. It's being patient, right? Keep no records of wrongs. How many of you like to keep scorecards on people who have hurt you? How many of you like to remember things? Husbands, wives. It goes both ways. Love does not do that. Why doesn't it do that? What are all these things? What are, what are they modeling? Whose love is it modeling? Towards, towards me, towards you. God is not impatient with me. I testify to that. Very much so. He's very long-suffering. He's very patient. He's really concerned about me and what's going on in my life. Yes, he has a plan, and he's drawn me to it. There's that sovereignty aspect. He's God, I'm not, Right? He's very patient. He's forgiving. He's kind. He's not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrongs. They're gone. Amen. How many of you enjoy that part? Yes. I'm like, Lord, remember when? He's like, no, I don't. Sorry, just can't find it. Can't find anything, you know, right now, it's just not coming up. There's blood spilt all over it, and it's gone. It's gone. Verse six, a two-parter: "Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is huge for our culture. You want to know what love is and is not. It doesn't delight in things that break the heart of God. doesn't delight in what our nation is saying is love. That's not love. That's evil. And it's breaking God's heart, and it's sending people to hell, and he sent his son to rescue people like us who've experienced things like that from those things. And to changes, us. Amen. So love does not delight in evil. Oh, it's so happy for it. No, it should break our hearts. But it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. And it's hard to find truth out there, isn't it? Jesus says, my word is truth. So if you have trouble rejoicing, put your nose into the words of God and Jesus and rejoice in him. So we see what love is not, and now what is love. And so he does some negatives there, what it isn't, and now what it is. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love always protects. That word is covered in some translations. It protects, it shields. That is what the Lord does with us. He atones. That's that word. He covers over our sins, our many sins. He protects us. Uh, It is love to protect the ones you love so that they might be built up in the Lord. Love always trusts. I I like what David Guzik said about this. He says, We never believe a lie, but we never believe evil unless the facts demand it. We choose to believe the best in others. I'm a pessimist. Anyone else? That just needs to go away. Love trusts. Lord, conform my heart. Love always hopes. When times get tough, we have confidence in the Lord and his promises. It doesn't doubt it. It has, has hope. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Awesome. Born again, saved, you now have hope. You'll never be separated from him, no matter what happens. And I'm going to finish this and then go to Romans because it's so awesome and into an inheritance that can never perish. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade or be taxed. I added that. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded, are covered by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed. And the last time our hope is anchored in heaven with Jesus behind the veil. Paraphrase Hebrews 6. I love that, but... uh, Romans 8, love never fails, right? It prevails. So the next one, Romans eight thirty five through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords or presidential elections or whatever else is going on? Just throw it out at whatever it is. Wherever our hearts are cast, whatever stock market doesn't make a difference, retirement, so anything separate us from the love of Christ. As it is written, for your sakes, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep by the slaughter. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced, and this is Paul speaking, who was beaten and, and shipwrecked and experienced horrible things to his body was hated all over the place. Died and tons of stuff happened to him. It's for I am convinced that neither life nor death nor life nor angels nor demons neither this present nor the future if you guys are worried about now or the future nor, the, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love all those things that have been ex- just explained in First Corinthians chapter 13 nothing can separate you from that list of how God feels towards you nothing can separate you from chapter 13 God Thinking towards you, nothing can separate you. Get it into your hearts, your minds, your souls. You need it. Amen? I need it. Nothing. So think about the thing that's separating you from Christ. Think of the thing you fear. Think of what's going on. And then circle that word nothing and put all your eggs on that basket. Nothing. That is where we live. That's where we stay. That's where we feast. In the grace of God and the love of God. Nothing. So Paul's saying here in this big picture, yes, we are to pursue the gifts, but we must have that agape love flowing through us, the same love that God has towards us. We've got to have it flowing out and motivating us, motivating us because guess what? These gifts are going to cease one day, they're going to stop. The gifts are going to stop. They are for now. They are how we work as a church. But Paul's saying they're going to go away. When are they going to go away? And there's two different thoughts on it. I'm not going to get into it right now. Basically, they're going to go away when we see Christ face to face. And that's why he says, he he says, where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they're going to be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it's going to pass away. The gifts, these gifts that are considered the greater gifts are only temporary. They're going to go away. He goes, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. And this is when, when are they going to go away? For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, we don't prophesy fully. We don't have the full picture of prophecy. But when completeness comes, what is completeness? It's when Christ returns, and I'll explain a verse, but I don't want to go through all of it right now. When completeness comes, what in, what is, uh, what is in part disappears. In other words, we're going to we're going to know fully. We're going to have that full prophecy. We're going to have, it's just not going to be needed anymore. When I was a child, I talk like a child. He's talking about tongues. Tongues is like child's play to compare to what's going to happen in the future. We need tongues now. We're not going to need tongues now. We're like kids. We don't see clearly. We see through a glass dimly. We, we, we prophesy in part. We have tongues. We're on this side of eternity. That's what he's getting at. When Christ comes back, when we are with the king, we shall be as he is and all that stuff is not needed. So, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away the childish things behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror and in the glass dimly. Then we shall see face to face, and now I know in part, but then, you know, speaking of word of knowledge, but now I only know in part, but then I shall fully know even as I am fully known. When Christ returns, all these things are going to go away, and so he says. And now these three remain, since they're all going away. Three remain. Verse thirteen, the end. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So, thirteen, chapter thirteen, does not say pursue love, forget the gifts. That is not what it says. Amen. It says pursue love as the motive for using the gifts because gifts are going away but love's going to remain you got to have love and now in chapter 14 verse 1 next week paul gives us the context he says follow the way of love so follow it and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit especially prophecy so the fact is, they had a gift, they were emphasizing that gift, and God wants them to emphasize it too, but how they were emphasizing it did not edify, was did not glorify God. And we'll talk more about prophecy, and we get into tongues next week. So, bring your uh, Rosetta Stone. Alright, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for all these things, and There needs to be a, a real work within um, my life, Lord, and I know the life of the church, Lord. We just need more of your love. This can't be manufactured, but it's grown. And as I look at the deficit of these things in my life, Lord, I cannot make them happen. We cannot make them happen. and. Love is a gift in in one respect, but it's really described as a fruit, is how you decided to tell us about it. It's something that comes out of loving you, Jesus, and obeying you. So, to make this whole thing really simple, Lord, just put our eyes upon you, and I pray that as I say I love you and as we say we love you right now, that that would translate into action and attitude. So Lord, whatever area that is placed before our eyes um, that you would have us pursue in love, I pray that we would step out in obedience and enjoy the fruit And I pray, Lord, where there's great deficit, that you, the creator of heaven and earth, would tap us into yourself, connect us to you, and we would begin to experience health. And I'm asking all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.